In today's sermon, we continue our discussion of the kingdom of God. Jesus had come to earth to announce that his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, was being inaugurated. It was at hand. It was happening, even though not everyone could see it. It was beginning. God's authority, his sovereignty, and his reign had been incorporated, if you will, through the body of Christ into the earth. Jesus had come to found a people who would be a new humanity that would enact those values and that reality in the earth. He uses four illustrations that we'll look at today to drive home a single point. No matter what you have to sacrifice or give up in order to enter the kingdom, no matter what you have to do to maintain your readiness for its advent and full authority, it's worth it. Each time that we celebrate this sacrifice of our King to allow us to be citizens, joint heirs, and ambassadors by celebrating the communion meal, we're acknowledging what He has done for us, but we're also acknowledging what He's going to do. We're awaiting His advent, His His return, His second coming, in which it will no longer be humiliation that Christ faces but it will be a revelation of his full authority. It won't be a sacrifice that he makes, but it will be a grand celebration of the fullness of his power. Don't you want to be ready? Thank you, friend, for joining us at Arlington United. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. For I've received, as Paul speaking, I've received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. So the bread is the body. It is the body of the Lord. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped or had finished his, his dinner. And he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. So both the bread and the wine were reflections to remember Jesus. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. What does communion have to do with the kingdom? Every time that we receive communion together, we are pointing back to the signpost of his sacrifice but we are pointing forward to the signpost of his sovereignty. Jesus came. He died. He was buried. He rose again. And he ascended into heaven. But just as sure as those things are facts, he's coming back. And his kingdom is going to take its full reign in the new heaven and the new earth. And you and I have an opportunity to be a part of that. Come with me on a journey. We're going to need a time machine. We're going to go back... 1,988 years. It's A.D. 33. We're in an upper room. It's a private space where 13 men are gathered to celebrate the Peshach or the Passover meal. This is a meal that's been celebrated at this time in Israel for over a thousand years to celebrate Moses leading the children of Israel through the Red Sea out of bondage 
of Egypt. That song, I'm no longer a slave to fear, would have resonated deeply with the children of Israel because they had been slaves under Pharaoh's bondage. And every year in the month of Nisan, the followers of Yahweh had commemorated that freedom breaking into their lives. The bread and wine are on the table. Every one of the group of Jesus' closest followers are gathered. Eleven with a question. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? When's the kingdom going to happen? How's it going to happen? How are we going to overthrow Rome? I've got a sword here. Well, I've got some friends over here. I've got a little money here. and There's a crowd outside. Who's going to betray you? What are you talking about? So many questions. The suspense in the room is thick enough to cut with a knife. All Jerusalem is on edge with anticipation. There is a wild expectation that Jesus of Nazareth is finally going to announce His rule. They have been waiting, waiting for a millennium for the kingdom of God to break in. Ever since the kings of Israel had shown that they had failed in many ways, and ever since especially 700 years before when the kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrian Empire, and then the kingdom of Judah fell to the Babylonian Empire, after secular power after secular power had ruled over the people of Israel, they had wanted deliverance. We talked about it last week. The great prophets of Israel had proclaimed that the kingdom of God was coming. And in their minds, Scott, that meant that the Romans were going to be thrown off or the Seleucians, or the Egyptians, or the, the Medes, or the Persians, or the Greeks, and all these other empires that had reigned over the area of Canaan. They thought, finally, we're going to be free of it. Malachi promised that the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple. Ezekiel had said, Yahweh Himself will be the shepherd. When Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, He was picking up that theme of prophecy where Ezekiel had said of people that were so-called leading the people of God. He said, you're not real shepherds. You don't feed the sheep. It's a scandal in my eyes. Jesus had said, I'm not like that. I'm the good shepherd. And because Ezekiel had prophesied that Yahweh himself would come to be the shepherd of Israel, when Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, it made sense to them that God had really come. So all they were waiting on, Sheila, was for Jesus, this Yeshua, this salvation, God, to manifest His power, overthrow the Roman government, and it's fun times for all. And that's why James and John's mother was saying, I want my boys. I want one on the right and I want one on the left. And, you know, when, when you set up the chief of police and the secretary of state and when Tiberius is done for, I want Preston over here and Harrison over there. And she's just kind of, a, you know, I want, I want Jay to do this and I want Camel to do this. Arranging things for her kids because they really thought that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman government and they were going to rule. Isaiah had prophesied a highway in the wilderness. Zechariah had said Yahweh was coming with all his saints with them. And they were ready. I mean, Peter's got his sword. He's ready to go. Even <laughs> you got to give the guy courage. I mean, he had courage. Wisdom, not so much, but courage he had. We explored last week the various ways that all these segments of Jewish society, the Pharisees, the Essenes, the Zealots, they all had ways that they thought they were going to inaugurate the kingdom and cause the kingdom to come to be. Their expectations were heightened by three years of Jesus' ministry. Over 50 times in the Gospel of Matthew alone, Jesus makes reference to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. 
And so, like people sitting waiting at a banquet and the chef brings out the delicious aroma of food and their appetite is whetted and they just can't wait and their mouth begins to water. Come on, when are we going to get to eat the meal? Like children waiting for a birthday party and the gifts come through the door and they're, when can I open them? When can I open them? That night before Christmas feeling, they were waiting on the king to reveal himself. Here's what Jesus had said the kingdom is like. Thirteen parables. Thirteen parables. We're just going to cover very briefly four of them today. Very briefly. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like. We'll cover four of them today. A baker's dozen of comparisons, Brother Jim. Here's four. And the point of all four of them is the same. No matter what you have to pay, no matter what you have to sacrifice, no matter what you have to give up, or no matter how you have to change to be part of the kingdom of God, it is worth it. It is worth it. I'm going to say that again because it's my main point today. It's the main point that the Spirit wants to drive home to you and to me. No matter what, being part of the kingdom of God is worth it. Here's what Jesus had to say. In Matthew 13, 45 and 46, He said the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl merchant who found a pearl of great price. Picture Robert Irwin Jewelers or La Savelle and they've got those, those loop things that they put on. Y'all, you ladies probably know a lot about those type of gemstones and different things. I thought carrot was something that came out of the ground. I guess... I learned that there's others that come out of the ground, but they are a lot more expensive than Bugs Bunny. But this, this pearl merchant, he wasn't into diamonds or rubies. He was into pearls. And the Bible, Jesus said that he found a pearl of great price. And because it was worth so much, Willie, he went and he sold everything he had to get that one pearl. Because in all his life, I don't know if he had a loop or not or some special lamp. He used. I, I don't know what jewelers used at that time. But I know he knew his business. And he looked at that pearl. And glory, he realized that pearl was worth more than anything he had seen in his life. I want to say to you today that when you look at Jesus and what he has to offer, if you truly could assess his value and you weighed that against anything else that you had to give up for him, I want to assure you today, He is the pearl of great price. If Jesus were standing before you today and I could show you the one whose hair is like wool and His eyes are like fire and His feet are like brass and His voice is like the many waters, when John the Revelator saw Him, after spending three years with Him, after, after knowing Him as the beloved disciple, after putting His head on His breast at this Last Supper that we're speaking about today, John fell as one dead before Him because the glory of the risen Christ, the resurrected Christ, the ascendant Christ is so great and so awesome. It overwhelmed John. When we see Him, you know, I probably said it too. When I get to heaven, I've got a first thing I'm going to do is ask Jesus, a bunch of questions. I'm going to tell you something. When we get there, Harrison, we actually see him. I think we're going to be so overwhelmed. All those questions we had about 
I mean, I don't know. What's the last number of pi? Whatever you got on your mind that you want to ask God. I'm telling you, when we see Him, we're going to fall before His feet and cast our crowns down, and we're going to join with the four and twenty elders, and we're going to say, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lord. Holy, holy. I feel like doing it right now. Why don't we just praise Him together? Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and all that you have done. Praise your name. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sold all that he had to buy a field. Now around here, you can buy an acre of land with highway access for somewhere between $100,000 to $150,000. A field, you know, four or five acres, three quarters of a million dollars. Most of us would have to sell <laughs> all we've got to buy that field. But the point of buying this particular field was not about what he wanted to put on it. It was about what was in it. And here's the challenge that many of us make. Here's the, here's the circumstance that, that many of us fall into. The pearl merchant already saw the pearl, and it was a pearl of great price. I, mean, I, I guess it was big. I guess it was flawless. Or maybe it was one of those famous black pearls that had a, an alteration in color. I, I don't know. But buying a field. I mean, if I show you the pearl, Jim, you're like, well, I guess, you know, that, that pearl's worth a lot of money. I guess you made a good deal. But if I say, I sold everything I had, and I bought a half acre. That doesn't make as much sense, Preston. And that's why people are lost today. It's because they look at the field rather than the treasure that is in it. You see, the reason I value you today as Christians is not because I'm looking at you as your demographics. Here's so-and-so who works so-and-so, and she's so many years old, and she has so many kids, and here's, here's Jim over here. He knows a little bit about HVAC and this and that. And here's, here's old Willie. He lives over there, and he's pretty good in the hospitality industry. And measuring people up by the field. You see, remember, every time the Bible talks about earth, it has to do with people. When you look at the church through the eyes of humanity, you get what you pay for. But when you look at the kingdom of God through the eyes of the spiritual you begin to see the pearl that is a great price. Hear me today. There's no other mechanism to get you to heaven than the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is valuable today. The, the way that we get there is through the church. The way that we get there is through the people of God. So warts and all, please value me. I'm worth something to you because I love you and I'm part of the body of Christ. Warts and all, it, is, it behooves me to love you and value you because you're part of the kingdom. You're the field, so to speak, that the treasure is in. Next time you get aggravated, somebody you just say, field alert, field alert. <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is like a king who invited everyone to his son's wedding. Hey, I'm having a wedding. Everybody come. And so he sent the, the send out to Jay-Z and Beyonce. and He sent it to uh, the Bidens and the Obamas and the Bushes and the Clintons and the he sent it to Harry and Meghan and I guess the House of Windsor and Sussex. And I'm done. I don't know much about royalty. And He sent it to uh, uh, maybe, uh, I don't know if Tony Bennett's still alive, but <laughs> some famous singer, Michael Buble or somebody. And so he sends it to all the celebrities. All the, oh, Gates and Buffett and all those people, you know. Bezos. Bezos is in space. He's too busy. and Everybody's got an excuse. And finally he says, well, Go get the King family. And go get the Mullins and the Mosers and the Bledsoes and 
all those people. Get to, get to, get to Wilson Center. We'll let them. The Jacksons can come. There will be child care. Put in bold letters, keep your kids out. You know, there will be child care, you know. Some of my friends remind me of that. And we're all busy. And finally he said, you just go out and you get people from wherever. I just want a big party for my son. This is what Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like. I think we're going to be surprised at some of the people that God values when it all gets down to the end. But I want to tell you something. I am thankful for my family and I'm thankful for those that have led me to truth. But it behooves us not to have spiritual pride. We need to be very careful and be very humble before the Lord because God wants people at His party. And if you and I are too busy or we don't value what's going on, we may find that somebody else has taken our seat. I want to be thankful for what God has done for me. The Bible says that somebody came to the party and he didn't have the wedding garment on and he was cast out. Harrison, the good news is you have an open invitation. There's no velvet rope. You can go right on in. But here's the caveat. You got to obey the rules. You got to wear the garment. Now that garment is not your righteousness because your righteousness is like mine. It stinks. But we got to wear his righteousness. We've got to put on Christ in order to be at the party and the wedding. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who had a party for his son. The kingdom of heaven is like 10 virgins, five who prepared and five who did not. They were all good girls. You know, it's really not about your moral achievement because you can't be good enough to outgood God. That's not what the kingdom of heaven is like. We all need to be moral people, but saying, you know, I fasted three more days than you did last year. God, God is not keeping the, that kind of a score. Oh, I, I said three less cuss words than you when I hit my nail with a hammer. Well, congratulations. Marvelous. It's not the kind of score that God keeps. You see, they were all good girls, but five were prepared, and five did not prepare. The oil is representative of the Holy Spirit. We need the indwelling power of God to power our lives, not our own external achievements. We're not stacking up achievements to earn salvation. If you can earn it, then Jesus died on the cross for nothing. The kingdom of heaven is like five virgins who are wise enough to prepare themselves for the bridegroom's coming. I want to pay whatever it takes. Now listen, we don't buy salvation. This is where the simile breaks down or the comparison breaks down. But there are times when I'm going to have to choose between idolatry and the true worship of God. There are times when I'm going to have to decide between my will and His will. There's going to be times when I've got to decide between getting my pound of flesh from somebody that I'm mad at or forgiving as God commanded me to do. There's times that I've got to decide whether I'm going to be offended or be saved. And that's where the pearl of price comes in. It's not that you buy your salvation. It's that sometimes you've got to give up all that you have. And that is not necessarily what you've got in First Horizon. It may be what you've got in your heart to give up something before the Lord. I want to sell everything I have. I want to value the field. I want to go to the wedding with Christ's righteousness on, and I want to be 
prepared. These people, they heard of Jesus speak of the kingdom of God and in him they thought that they were going to see all these elements of Hebrew liberation come to pass, that a new nation would be formed and Rome would be overthrown. Evil would finally be defeated and God, Yahweh, would return to his people. And every bit of that came to pass, but not in the way or the time that they envisioned it. All of it came true, but not in the way that they thought. You see, they were thinking checkers and God was arranging chess. He was in a different dimension of what he was bringing about. They wanted to see Jesus seize Roman authority, but Jesus had already been given all authority. Some were willing to give it all for the kingdom. Nicodemus was. Jesus said to him, if you want to enter the kingdom, you've got to be born again of water and of spirit. Born again of water is baptism. The water's warm today. Anybody wants to be born in the water, we'll baptize you. Born of the Spirit. If you want to receive the Spirit of God today, He is here and He will fill your heart. Some were not willing to give it all. The rich young ruler walked away sorrowful because he had a lot. Whatever you have as a blessing that keeps you away from Jesus is actually a curse. Whatever you hold on to more tightly than you hold on to Jesus is not your friend. You would be better, Jesus said, to enter into life halt and blind and lame than to have everything your heart desires and miss the one thing that your soul needs. Hear me today, whatever you have to pay to be in the kingdom, whatever you have to give up, whatever you have to surrender, your pride, your well-being, whatever it is, it's worth it. Although not everyone was willing to commit their all to king, the king was prepared to give his all so that we could have the opportunity. Last week we said, we give thanks to the Father who has made us fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. God has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. How did He do it? It was in our meditation today. The good shepherd, the leader, gave His life for the sheep. God saw that there was no bridge between sin and righteousness. There was no portal between man and God. There was no, no, no way to get from heaven to earth. And so He came Himself in human form and He sacrificed Himself to be who we needed. John captured this posture of the apostolic church. The Spirit and the bride say come. Let him who hears say come. And then He says, let him who thirsts come. Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. It's available for everybody. It's available for everybody. Jesus has left the door wide open through his sacrifice. This kingdom that we've been talking about, you can be a joint heir in this kingdom. It was paid for by Jesus' sacrifice. And he said on that night, and every time communion has been received from that night forward, Jesus said, every time you do this, every time the body comes together, every time you meditate on my blood that was shed for your sins, Every time you do it, every time you do it, you remember it until I come. Until I come. You see, there's a looking backwards to His sacrifice, but there's a looking forward to His sovereignty. There's a looking backwards to salvation being open to us, and there's a looking forward to our salvation being completed. 
There's a looking backward to the sacrifice of the king who hung between two timbers and, and his body stretched out and splayed in a vulgar way and everyone was mocking him. And above his head, the greatest mockery of all, they thought, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. But it was so true, Scott. The king actually was reigning in victory even as he breathed his last breath and he said, it is finished. It was telesthenai, he said in Hebrew. It was what you would stamp as an accountant when a bill was paid in full. You would stamp it telesthenai. It meant that the account is settled. When he said it is finished, the doorway to the kingdom was open for you and the doorway to the kingdom was open for me. And in Christ, our debts were paid. My God. My God. When we receive communion, we're looking back to that Wednesday night. But we're looking forward to some night when the sky is going to split open and He's going to be here. And pain isn't going to exist anymore. And, and heartache isn't going to exist anymore. And, and limitation and and, and sorrow and broken relationships and, and regrets, they are going to roll back all the way to the cross and it's going to be done with and it'll be as dead as it was dark on that day because new life is going to break forth on this earth and you and I are going to reign as kings and priests and queens and priests in God's kingdom because we're looking forward to that day. Every time we reenact that final dinner, that inaugurating Passion Week in which the doors to salvation and the kingdom of God were flung open by the sacrifice of Calvary. We are showing heaven and we are showing earth that we are now the true citizens of the true kingdom and we are awaiting His return. Today, when that juice touches your lips and it represents the blood of Jesus Christ, you're going to show that you're awaiting His return and your confidence is in His sacrifice that He made for you. When you take that piece of bread that we've broken from that loaf, you're going to be recognizing that the sister who is standing next to you is valuable, not because she's clever, not because she's beautiful, not because she's wealthy, not because she comes from a certain family with a certain last name, but you're going to recognize that she's valuable because she's part of the kingdom of God. You're going to recognize that that brother who's standing next to you is not valuable because of how the world sees him or how he presents himself, but because of who Christ has made him. When we pray thy kingdom come, we're praying for that kingdom to rule not only in our souls, but to be reflected in our world our workplace, our neighborhood, our family, and our heart. This do in remembrance until I come. There's a, there's a reflective aspect of receiving His body and His blood. But there is a prophetic aspect of receiving it. We look back on what He did, but we celebrate what He is doing. And we wait until once again, once again, Rebecca, on the cross, he said it is finished. But in Revelation, John caught a scene where Christ is enthroned in power and he said, it is done. We're living between it is finished and it is done. And every time we receive communion, we are saying, I believe it is finished. And I believe it will be done. Will you stand with me today? 
Oh, what a savior. What a king. What a sacrifice that the author of the universe, the creator of the galaxies, would stoop so low to be willing even to be humiliated on the cross and to endure pain and suffering, to open a portal for us to become that new part of humanity, to, to translate us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's own dear son through his work on Calvary. I'm so thankful. And in looking back to that event, his sacrifice, how could I, how could I value anything more than our king? How could I treasure anything more than participation in his kingdom? Being a citizen, being a joint heir, being an ambassador for him. I want to be ready for his return. I want to live my life in a way that reflects who he has made me to be in order that the whole earth can see his glory and that everyone that I meet will want to be part of this kingdom as well. Don't you want to join in that project? Thank you, friend, for being with us today at Arlington United.